0: You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. Happy Resurrection, Church! This is the day that Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. The book of Revelation, Jesus says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look! I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Glory to God. Because of Jesus, we do not have to fear death. We don't have to fear the grave. Because of the resurrection, we have a new life, a new hope, and it's because of the one who is alive today. Glory to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit works in me and through me by your grace. Have your way. Direct my thoughts and my words may be from you. And right where you're at, whether you're in your living room or your kitchen or your car, and you're looking at this at a flat screen or a phone, would you just say this? Say, God, open my heart, open my eyes, speak to me. Give me a soft heart that your word would fall on and I would grow roots and grow closer to you. So I invite you to speak to me. Change my heart, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. And I also want to pray for our healthcare workers, those people who are on the front lines, our emergency responders. Would you be with them, Lord? Would you keep them healthy? I pray for every person who's, in, who's, who's infected with this coronavirus. I pray that they are miraculously healed right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Touch them, Lord. And most importantly, Lord, I pray that our nation turns to you. I pray that we seek your face. I pray that we humble ourselves. I pray that we cry out to you in a new way. So thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray all this. And the church said amen. Amen. Hey, before we jump into this resurrection message, I want to let you know how your church, Thorn Creek Church, is loving on people. This last week, we loved on two families. Both families were going through some very, very difficult situations, and both of them had impacted—their uh, their, their hours were impacted, and even a loss of a job was impacted. And when I gave the checks to these people, I just want you to know that there were tears of joy tears of gratitude. And I told them, this has come from your church, Thorn Creek Church. And we want you to know that we love you and you're not alone. So thank you. Thank you for all of you who are giving so generously. Many of you are giving above your tithe and offering. We can only do this because of faithful people who give at that level faithful people who tithe and say, this is our church and we're going to keep giving even during this pandemic. So thank you. And many of you again are giving above and beyond because you understand what's happening and you have empathy and you're trying to help out. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's continue to be the church. Well, happy resurrection day. Uh, The resurrection is the epicenter of our faith. It is the epicenter of our faith. In the midst of our pandemic, we have people crying out to God. There's this Florida medical team that was captured praying. And they said, This is how we started our, m- our morning today. Our team said a prayer asking God for guidance and protection while we are at work and, and to keep us safe and our families safe. And this was at Jackson South Medical Center in Miami, Florida. Glory to God. And a team in San Antonio. That healthcare professionals at Northeast Methodist Hospital in San Antonio pray at the start of their shift. Many of you are also praying, but I love the fact in the midst of this pandemic, you have hope rising. Prayers are being offered, and people are more receptive to prayer. Let me ask you this question What do you need God to do in your life? What is it in your life that needs to be resurrected? Maybe it's your faith. Maybe you have doubt, maybe more than ever. Maybe it's your hope. Maybe it's love. You just don't have love in your heart anymore, or whatever that may be. Or maybe you need God to resurrect your marriage. Maybe you need God to resurrect a relationship, a son or a daughter, or maybe you have your own private battle. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's addiction, whatever it may be. And you need God to resurrect your life. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's finances, whatever it is. What do you need God to resurrect in your life? The story of the resurrection is a compelling story of God's unfailing love. We're going to look at the book of Matthew here. It says this, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. So you have these two ladies that are headed to the tomb, and they're going there to prepare the body of Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says, On the way they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb see this phrase is an imperfect this verb is imperfect it literally means they kept on saying among themselves who will roll away the stone that was the chief thought in their mind That's what they thought of as they were walking on their way to the tomb over and over and over. Who's going to roll away this stone? Not me. Who's who's strong enough? I don't know. How are we going to do this? What about the stone? What are we going to do with the stone when we get there? How are we going to get to the body of Jesus? What are we going to do? I don't know. Who else is is it? This was occupying their mind. That's all they thought of. They were not expecting Christ to be resurrected. See, you will believe whatever you keep telling yourself. This is so important. I've said this so many times, just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. You will believe whatever you keep telling yourself. If you keep telling yourself negative things, he doesn't care, she doesn't care, nobody cares about me, nobody loves me, my life isn't worth living, whatever it is, You keep telling yourself negative things. Eventually you will believe it with your heart. What do you keep telling yourself? I don't need God. I don't need the church. This right here is written by by man and it's not God's word. And I can go to heaven and I'm a good person. I have my own relationship with God. What do you keep telling yourself? Be careful. The ladies were on their way to the tomb and they kept telling themselves who's gonna roll away the stone?" That's all that they thought about. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Such a cool picture. You see this picture of this this angel and and this earthquake and the angel of the Lord comes down and rolls away the stone. And here's what the angel does. He sits down. He sits down on this stone. Just sits there. See, in scripture, when you see someone sitting down, it's a picture of completion. It is finished. That's why in the letter to Hebrews, we read that Jesus sits down at the right-hand side of the Father. It is completed. He has fulfilled the will of God. The angel shows up and he knows Jesus went to the cross. The angel shows up. The stone has been rolled away and the angel sits down on the very stone That man put to separate life from death. The very stone that man put to prevent anyone from robbing the body of Christ. The very stone that man put to prevent the stench of death from leaving that tomb. And the angel comes and sits down on that stone. It's a picture of God's plan. See, we could have our plan in place, but God's plan is so much greater and we can use our own stones to cover up things, but God is so great, he can move stones and he can sit on them. See, God's will is greater than your will. God's plan is greater than your plan. The angel sits down and it's while the angel is sitting down that the women show up. And you keep reading in this passage. You keep reading in this passage and scripture says this, his face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Reminds me of the words of Clarence Hall. He said this, the resurrection of Jesus Changes the face of death for all his people. People, Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Glory to God. It's a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in winding sheets and shut it up in a tomb, but it will rise. Glory to God. And that's what happened. And the angels say, what are you doing? I know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Even the angels knew that Jesus needed to be crucified. They know, they knew there needed to be a cross. Let me say it this way. If our goodness is enough for us to get to heaven, why would God have had to send his only son? And why would a cross have had to be part of the story? Why would the resurrection be part of the plan? If your goodness is good enough, why the cross? Why is it necessary? If I could get to heaven with my own merit, if I could get to heaven by being a kind person, why would God have had to send his only son? It reminds me of the coronavirus. The coronavirus started in Wuhan, spread by one person, and it's spread to all of humanity. It's impacted all of our globe. Now we have people who are losing jobs and, and we, we have words like stay-at-home order and we understand what that means and social distancing, we understand what that means and we realize that we live in this small world and we're more connected than we realize. But here's the thing about the coronavirus is you can't see it with your naked eye. None of us can see it with our naked eye. You could only see it with a microscope. But we believe and we know it's there. Why do we no, it's there. It's because we, we, we see hospitals and, and we see people on ventilating machines and breathing machines and, and we see medical teams wearing suits and masks and helmets and all these kinds of things. And, and, and we see the, we see all this and we keep six feet away from each other. And, and we just know that that coronavirus could be on that hard surface. So we're wiping down things and we're keeping our distance and we're being really careful. It's invisible to the naked eye, but this coronavirus has impacted all of humanity. We wash our hands extra diligently and we wait. We wait for the day we have a vaccine. And until then, we live with this awareness that the coronavirus is out there, although we don't see it with our eye. See, there is a spiritual virus, a spiritual virus that's infected, infected all of humanity. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, when Adam sinned, sin entered the whole world Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. See, the spiritual virus spreads spiritually. It didn't start in Wuhan. It started in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, you see this point of disobedience to God and when sin entered this world. And when that happened, it in fact infected everything, all of humanity, generations and generations and generations. So you can't quarantine yourself from this spiritual virus. You can't protect yourself from this spiritual virus. It affects our hearts, our desires, our pleasures, who we are, our character, our, it even affects creation. This spiritual virus. Even impacts our relationship with our holy God. It creates this this barrier between us as people who are marred by sin and our holy God who wants to walk with us. It creates this. And ultimately, there's this eternal separation that potentially can happen because of this spiritual virus. This spiritual virus is all around us, we're born with this spiritual virus. But God did something. God implemented a vaccination plan and his name is Jesus. That's the vaccination plan to take care of this spiritual virus called sin. Now, anyone who puts their faith and hope and trust and believes Jesus Christ is Lord and confesses with their mouth and believes with their heart, that person can experience that, that power of Jesus, the vaccination that God provided, and that person can experience the forgiveness of sins and experience God and Christ on earth right where you're at. You can be spiritually saved from this spiritual virus. John 3.16 says it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's available for all of us. It's free. It's free. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I accept you. I receive you. Paul said in Romans like this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, you can see that spiritual virus when you look through this microscope, the Holy Word, and, and, and you see it all the time, but God has sent his only son so that now anyone who receives Christ can experience this spiritual vaccination. Find it really interesting right now. Passover, Passover 2020 will begin in the evening of Wednesday, April 8th and ends in the evening of Thursday, April 16th. Don't you find it interesting that Passover this year is actually happening right in the middle when this epidemic is going to be at its worst? When there's fear and worry and we're quarantined. It's happening exactly at this time. There was another time in scripture in the book of Exodus when people were in quarantine. The Israelites were living in Egypt and God was using Moses to speak to Pharaoh and telling him to let my people go so, we can, so they can worship, worship God. Pharaoh had a hard heart, but the last plague was known as the angel of death. And the angel of death would walk through the streets of Egypt. And everywhere that angel went by, people would die. Firstborns. So God told Moses, here's what you are to do with my people, the Israelites. Take the blood of a lamb and smear it on the door frame of the home. And everyone who is inside that house will be safe. The angel of death won't touch them. So that's what they did. The Israelites got the blood of lamb and smeared it all over their door, the frame of the door. And they were inside their doors when and outside people were dying and they heard screaming and yelling, but God took care of his people. In first Corinthians, we read this, Christ is our Passover lamb and has been sacrificed for us. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we can experience the forgiveness of of our sins, It's because of the blood of Jesus that we could be viewed as righteous because of the blood of Jesus. See, there needed to be a cross and the angels knew there needed to be a cross. In the gospel of Luke, you see a question that the angel asked the women. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Such a simple question. Why'd you come to a grave to look for someone who's alive? (laughs) See, God knew these women were struggling with their faith. Remember the question they kept asking themselves, who's going to roll away the stone? God knew that. And they show up and the angel says, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? Like, duh, what are you doing? See, God is already teaching these women to walk by faith. He's already teaching them to walk by faith. First Corinthians tells us this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. That means all the preaching that happens in churches is useless. It's worthless because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then this is worthless. Worthless. Even our faith, even our prayers, it is worthless without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the other side to that is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have hope in heaven. Some of you, you can say it with me. You can say, I have faith in God. I have faith in Jesus who rose from the grave. I have faith there's a heaven and a hell. I have faith that I'm just passing through. I have faith that God's word is true. I have faith that God hears my prayers. I have faith that I'm in God's hands. I have faith that God's gonna use everything in my life for his glory my faith is in Jesus and you just live like that I love the way the writer of Hebrews said it now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen isn't that cool The assurance of things hoped for. I know it's going to happen. I can't see it happening, but I know it is. And I'm going to have faith that it's going to happen. And I have a conviction that it's going to happen as well. A conviction. Although I can't see heaven, I believe in heaven. Although I can't see Jesus in the physical form today, I know he's here. His spirit is here. He talked to me this morning. I have this conviction that God is loving and he's real and he speaks to me. It's this conviction. See, the resurrection puts our faith on trial. It puts our faith on trial. These ladies, they forgot the words of Jesus. In John chapter 11, Right before Jesus raises this man named Lazarus to life after being dead for four days, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus is saying, I am. It's one of the seven I ams of Christ. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know what that means? That means everywhere Jesus goes, he brings life because he is life. He is life. He can bring life to a valley of dried up old bones. He can bring life to a wilderness, a desert, and he can make water come out of a rock. He is life. You might be in a situation where there is no life, where there is no hope. And I want you to hear this. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. He's everything. And the angel says this. He isn't here." <laughs> isn't that beautiful? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would, ha- said he would happen. Come see where his body was lying. I love this. You can just imagine the angel saying, come on over here. Look, here's, this is where he was lying. He's not here. He's gone. He's rose from the grave. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. I find it interesting that the angel tells the ladies Remember what I have told you. The other side to that is you have the potential to forget. So you need to remember this moment. When you look at scripture over and over, God tells us, remember, remember, remember. Over and over, that's what you see. Remember. Because we have the capacity You forget how God has moved. Do you remember? Do you remember when you met God for the first time? Do you remember when God spoke to you the first time? Do you remember that day when you prayed and you saw God move? Do you remember that time when you had an encounter with Jesus? Do you remember that time when you just felt God? Do you remember? Holding on to the right memory will keep you in the center of the will of God. Let me say that again. Holding on to the right memory will keep you in the center of the will of God. Holding on, don't let it go. Don't let it go. In the gospel of Mark, the angel tells the women something else. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I love the fact that the angel says, and Peter. Love it. I'm going to be talking about this in the following weeks. We're going to start a brand new series called Life After the Tomb. Don't miss it. But here the angel is telling the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why is the angel singling out Peter? Well, remember, Peter is the guy who denied Christ three times when the rooster crowed. Peter is the guy who told Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to do anything for you. I'm all yours, Jesus. You know, wash all of me. Don't just wash my feet, Jesus. Wash all of me. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter is the one who said all that, but Peter is also the one that the last time he saw Jesus was when he denied him. And Peter is living in this guilt and shame and discouragement a place of defeat. And let me just tell you, the devil wants you to live in a place of shame and discouragement and defeat. He wants you to be discouraged because if you're discouraged, you won't be motivated to seek God. If you're defeated, you won't believe in yourself through Christ. You won't you just won't have any faith at all in yourself. If you're if you're discouraged and motivated. And this was a time. This was a time when Peter felt like he was out of the race. This was the time when Peter felt like, well, I did that. I might as well go back to fishing. He was, he was embarrassed and shamed. He didn't want to talk about it. He was in a dark place. And the angel says, Peter, you're still God's man. Peter, nothing has changed. Your mistake wasn't big enough to change God's plan. Your mistake wasn't big enough to change God's plan for your life. Even when you're unfaithful, God is faithful. God has a bigger plan, and that one moment is not going to define you. That moment is going to become part of your story, but it's not going to define you. Maybe some of you could identify with this. Some of you are like Simon Peter. There was a time when you are like, white hot for Jesus, You were at church, you used to go, you used to serve, maybe you used to give, and you just were white hot for Jesus. And you told everyone about Jesus. You told the person at the grocery store and told your friends, and you were just excited about Jesus. You were bold, and you loved God, and you read his scripture. You devoured God's word. Do you remember that? The days when you used to read the Bible just because And you never looked at the clock. You just loved reading God's word. And maybe you took notes on your own, white hot for Christ. But then there was a moment in your life, kind of like Simon Peter. It was an embarrassing moment. It's one that you don't want anyone to know of. You're ashamed of. And that moment took you to your knees. That moment brought you down. That moment fed you with guilt and shame. And there was this little voice inside that you just believed. And the voice was this. You're not who you think you are. You're not who you think you are. And you believed it. You believed it. And ever since that moment, You now live your life and you make the best of your life, but you know there was a plan A, but you're living now your plan B. And now you're in a situation and the circumstances are bigger than you. And you think, well, you know what? I missed my ride. I should have been on that bus. I I missed it. I got off of it. I made this mistake. And you live in this place of discouragement and defeat. I want you to hear this. The devil is a liar, he's the father of lies. You belong to God, you are a child of God. God. God has not forgotten his calling on your life. I need to say that again. God has not forgotten his calling on your life. Scripture says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You have a calling on your life. You have a plan from God for you. Do not turn away. You belong to God. Like the prodigal son, come to your senses and turn back to God. God loves you and he'll take you in. See, scripture tells us there's different ways we respond to God's word. There's different ways we respond to the message of God's grace and love through Christ Jesus. We respond to Christ different ways. Luke chapter eight says it like this. Here's one person Verse 12 says, the seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. So this person might, might believe and, and they hear it, but the devil comes quickly and just like takes out that word right out, And they're like, okay, I don't know what that was all about, but you know what? And it prevents you from believing and being saved. So your faith is not activated because the devil came in the night and just took that right out of your heart. Maybe it was really quickly. Another type of person is this. The seeds on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Then they fall away when they face temptation. So this is a person who believes, but they don't spend time in God's word. They don't work on the, the spiritual roots in their life. And as soon as temptation comes around, they fall quickly. As soon as things happen in their life that they just don't understand, they fall quickly. As soon as that spiritual hurricane comes into their world, their life, they just fall away. They fall away. A third person is this. The seeds that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. Crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life so they never grow into maturity. This is a person, another version says, they're choked, they're choked by the love of this world, by the riches and the pleasures of this world. They're choked by porn. They're choked by greed. They're choked by these things, by lust. They're choked by the things of this world, materialism, whatever it is. They're choked by it. And they love this world more than they love God. And because of that, Jesus is just crowded out of their life. And they never grow into maturity. The fourth type of person is the person who receives the word of God. They receive it and they embrace it. And it falls on good soil, on a good heart, and it grows. That's the fourth person. That's who God wants you. That's how he wants you to respond. See, God wants to forgive you, restore you, and renew you. But it's up to you to receive his word. It only happens when you receive his word look at what happened with the women. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. I could only imagine the adrenaline that was just pumping through these women. Now, we don't know anything about what these women looked like, whether they were in great fit shape. <laughs> or we don't know what they look, but I can only imagine these women running down this dusty road to go tell the disciples of Christ that Jesus is alive. That adrenaline was just going. It reminds me of a time when I was much younger And I was probably eighth grade, ninth grade, somewhere around there. And uh, I was with my friends and we went to go toilet paper some houses. These were the days when toilet paper was not as valuable. And (laughs) we had to go toilet paper some houses. And I remember going to a house. We didn't know the house. We just picked it randomly. And I remember throwing the toilet paper up in the trees and laughing and this kind of thing. And I remember seeing a shadow inside the house go from like a window right to the door. And it was a... Big shadow. And I remember that door flinging open and some big burly men running out the door. And I was all maybe 110 pounds. I don't know, I was really, really small. And they came out and I remember running. I remember the adrenaline to this day. And let me just tell you, I could have beat Usain Bolt. I could have beat him. I was so scared. And I'm thinking about these women and I can identify with that adrenaline. Later on that night, we read in the Gospel of John that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Don't you find that interesting? The ones who had a front row seat to the teachings and miracles of Christ are behind locked doors because they are afraid. See, we are fear-driven creatures, we're fear-driven creatures and we make a lot of decisions because of fear, fear of being alone, fear of not having enough, fear of dying. We are fear-driven creatures and the disciples are no different. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, if I were in their shoes, I would just freak out. <laughs> we're all together and turn around. Oh, there's Jesus right there. Oh my goodness. And he says, peace be with you. And what does Jesus do? As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. When you look at the story, it's a remarkable passage in John. He says, hey, look at my hands, look at my side. Eventually he shows Thomas too. Remember doubting Thomas? We'll talk about him in the next few weeks too. But remember, eventually, Jesus says something. He says, blessed are those who have seen, who have not seen but yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. We don't have the opportunity to put our hands on the hands of Jesus physically. We don't have the opportunity to touch his side. That's just easy faith. If he was physically in your living room right now and he said, peace be with you, all of you would jump up right now. I would jump up. But we don't have that opportunity, but we have an incredible opportunity to show God our love for him. An opportunity that even the disciples didn't have. Because God is calling us to believe even though we have not seen And that's the opportunity we have. It's called faith. When you look at Corinthians, it says this, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. We don't know exactly how many people saw the physical body, the resurrected body, the resurrected person, Jesus Christ but there were a lot. There were a lot. And when you look at the early church, it's like a fire that just started up in flames. It just just spread. And all these people that saw him were changed. Their whole life, their whole world was turned upside down. It was reprioritized and, and Jesus was on the top. After that, nothing else mattered. Let me ask you this way. If I had a vaccination for the coronavirus and I only used it for me and my wife, Grace, my son, Josiah, and my daughter, Hannah, and Mama Sanchez, because she's got to make me the eggs, right? (laughs) If I only used it for my home, this vaccination, and I didn't share it with the rest of the world... What would you think of me if there was a vaccination and it wasn't shared? For these early Christians, they were so changed by Jesus that nothing else mattered. Their whole life was viewed differently because of Jesus. The things that they worried about before, they didn't worry about anymore the things that stressed them out before. They weren't stressful. And in fact, they gave their whole life to telling others about this spiritual vaccination, this person named Jesus that you could know, that you could experience heaven on earth right now, and you could have the assurance of heaven as well. And they radically believed. That's why when you look at the early church, you saw they were persecuted. You saw they they were hungry and they even experienced starvation and 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 you saw things happen in their life like whether they were shipwrecked or or you saw that they were slandered or or, or you saw them being crucified upside down. you saw one Beheaded because of his faith in Jesus. And they were willing to go through those extreme experiences because they utterly believed in Jesus and they saw him. They met with him and nothing else mattered. And he, they wanted everyone to know about Jesus, the hope of the world. Nothing else mattered for them. That's why you read these radical stories. Radical stories. N.T. Wright said it like this. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. God wants you to experience him right now. Right now. For these disciples, nothing else mattered. That's why one of them said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This world doesn't have anything for me. It's a trash can compared to the beauty of heaven. I'd rather be in the presence of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, After death, something new begins over which all powers of the world of death have no power, no more might. What else do you have to fear if you don't fear death? A poll in 2017 said this: 64% of Americans believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. I'm just think about that a little bit. Incidentally, this number is declining every year. At this time in 2017, 64% believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear this, and maybe that's you. It's not enough to believe. God wants
1: all of you. We've been with Thorn Creek, what, almost seven years? My faith in God has gotten better. Um, It was not perfect. After the family events had happened to me, I had a hard time trusting. So every time I thought that I could trust God, it was like playing catch and release with Him, almost. I couldn't trust Him enough to pull Him completely in. I just believe that God will find a way to get you to listen especially when he's been trying. Last May, I ended up in the hospital having emergency surgery for what they thought was my appendix that burst, which it did. It was supposed to be a 45-minute surgery, ended up being almost a four-hour surgery. So when I woke up, the surgeon came in and told me that, yes, my appendix burst, but what happened, I had endometriosis attached to my appendix, which then attached to my colon best way to say it is poison. They found a tumor on my colon. If I would have waited 12 hours longer, I would have died. So when he's telling me all this, all I heard was tumor. I I could work past everything else, but when he said I had a tumor, I then was like, what do you mean? Well, we found a tumor on your colon. We're gonna biopsy it. If it's cancerous, we'll start talking about treatment and I'm laying in the hospital bed and that was the only thing that I could think of. I, everything else almost just faded away. And I mean, you hear it, you even know people who've had it, but to hear that it's you, it's hard. Um, and then all this stuff starts going through your head. What ifs? You know, what if it comes back? What if it's, what if it is cancerous? What, Joshua, what am I gonna do? What is Joshua gonna do? I start thinking about my son and how's Greg gonna be and my family and what are they gonna do? And I, you start going over these really dark places. I had never prayed as much as I prayed in those five days. I I literally was like, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know, but please, please just let me live and please let this just not be cancerous. I, I, begged him so that I could see my son graduate, so I can see him go to college, so I could see him get on that Broadway stage. Please, I, I, please just let me see that. And then you can take me if you want. And I, I just cried and I was crying and I was crying. I was like, please just give me a sign. I need a sign, any sign. 10 minutes later, Pastor Ruben walks in. And I just remember I turned and I just started crying. I just started crying. And he said that he was at home and God told him to come see me, and he just left. And he prayed with me and he talked to me. And about 10 minutes after he left, the surgeon assistant came in and he was like really excited. <laughs> he walked in and I, and he went straight to the chart and he was like, Dr. Varner told me to get up here as fast as I could so that we could, I need to show you something. And I was like, okay. And He pulls it up and he turns it around he's like look you don't have cancer it's benign and i was like what i go he's like you don't have cancer he knows because dr varner knows that you've been worried about this that was probably the best feeling i think i've ever felt in my life to hear that i was like you know i i didn't know what to do i was so excited you know and then i could concentrate after that Greg and my mom came in after he left and I was telling him and it was like this great, it was like a celebration in the hospital room, just us, it was awesome. So if, Greg, if my mom wouldn't have been there, Greg would have walked up with Pastor Ruben and I know for a fact that I would not have had the moment I had with Pastor Ruben if Greg was sitting right there. So everything worked out the way it was supposed to, it changed me. It changed the way I believe in God. It changed my faith. It's like God gave me peace in a way that I have never felt it before. I literally internally feel it all the time. I trust him fully. I, I do trust him. It's hard and talk about it and pray about it. Pray. It's made my life so much better. It's made my relationships so much better. It's. Made my every day to day task so much better. So, no, I wouldn't change it. I'd go through it all over again.
0: I love that story of Melanie, and I remember going into that hospital room. I remember God stirring my heart and saying, Reuben, I want you to go visit her. I remember the circumstances around that visit and I remember running into her husband down in the lobby and I remember going up the elevator by myself and I remember thinking this is exactly what God wants. I did not know everything that was happening in her heart or her mind. When I see that story, all I think about is the faithfulness of God. See, God, he is willing to meet you wherever you're at. He is willing to go to even that dark place that you don't want anyone else to be. He's willing to go there and meet you there. Nothing will keep him away from a sinner that needs to be saved. And he loves you. He loves you. Your heart is the start of it all. C.S. Lewis said it like this, nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. If you want to know God's will for your life, the first thing you need to do is die to yourself. God only resurrects people who have died to themselves. Something has to be dead before it's resurrected. You can't hold on to your current life and expect God to give you a new life. God wants you to let go of your life. That's dying to yourself. And then he will resurrect your life. Some of you, you need your home to be resurrected, your marriage to be resurrected, your children, health, whatever it is. And let me just say this. Let me just say this. The only thing that's between you and a better life is a grave. God wants you to die to yourself. That means dying to your desires, to your will, dying to yourself and living for him and saying, God, I completely surrender myself completely to you, God. And right now I just choose to give you all of my life, all of my life, I surrender. It's a death to self. Only when you die to yourself can you experience the resurrection of God. Only then. One of the disciples said it like this in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Make that your prayer. Some of you are watching right now and God has been stirring your heart, if you've sensed something stirring inside of you, that's the spirit of God working inside of you. That's the spirit of God compelling you to turn to him. That's what you're experiencing inside. Turn to God. Respond with urgency. Respond with a humble heart, a broken heart. Respond. Don't let anything distract you from turning to God. Don't let anything distract you. And Paul, the apostle says, when Jesus was on the cross, I put myself on the cross as well. And I no longer live, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. In fact, Paul, the apostle says, everything in this world is rubbish or garbage compared to knowing Christ and the power of the resurrection. Everything else is rubbish. I want to pray for you. And right where you're at, hold on to this moment. Hold on. Stay, stay, stay with me. Right where you're at, you can turn to Jesus. God knows your life. God knows what's going on in your life. He knows your heart. He knows your circumstances. He knows you well. And he wants you to turn to him. Would you turn to Jesus Christ today? If you're far from God and maybe you feel like that prodigal son or maybe you just, you know, it's been a long time since, whatever it is, would you turn to Jesus Christ I want to say a prayer for you. I also want to pray for you who maybe you call yourself a Christian, but maybe you haven't died to yourself. Maybe you need to die to yourself. And I want to pray for you also who needs a resurrected life. Let's bow our heads. God, right now, we humble ourselves before you. And if you need to ask Jesus into your life, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you with all of my heart. With my, with my mouth, I confess, Jesus, you are a Lord. And with my heart, I believe. I choose to become a Christian. Forgive me for my sins. And I turn to you. Others of you, maybe you need to say this. Jesus, today, I need to crawl up on that cross and I need to die to myself. I put other people in front of you. I put myself in front of you and I want to live for you now. So right now I choose to die to myself and I ask you to resurrect me first. And Lord, I need you to resurrect my home and my children and my circumstances next, but start with me, start with me. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven and coming into this crazy world and walking this earth Thank you for every miracle. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross, but thank you for the empty grave. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you send so that we could experience a life of holiness. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church slash give.